You are listening to the online audio for Jubilee Church in St. Louis. If you would like more information about Jubilee Church, please visit our website at jubileestl.org. I'm going to be uh, talking to you out of the book of Ephesians, and if you don't have your Bible with you, you might want to find one like this, which is in the chair in front of you, and uh, turn to page 976. And I'm going to be talking to you out of Ephesians chapter 2 today. <clears throat> the book of Ephesians is a, a, it's like all the Bible, it's all amazing. But it's an amazing a book that has to do with what Jesus has done for us and what he's made, what the church is supposed to look like. And I think uh, if you go around and if you visit various places and various churches, as oftentimes I'm uh, doing, and uh, feel uh, there's a little different feel and ethos in each one of those places. And you begin to uh, wonder, uh, sometimes people debate religion, which church is right, and, and uh, uh, you can get into those kind of issues. Well, actually, I think Paul t- describes to us the way the family of God is supposed to function and uh, find it to be extraordinarily helpful. He reminds us, of what we once were and who we are now as a result of the finished work of Jesus Christ. And before I begin to read some of the scripture, I'd just like to tell you a little story. Uh, First, I want to introduce you to Rick Hine. Now, many of you may already know Rick Hine because Rick Hine, when we started the Jubilee Church, came about a year into it and joined and was uh, a part of the leadership as we started Jubilee Church. And Rick's been a friend of mine for many years and been around for a long time. Fact is, uh, Rick's been a Christian for a very long time. He's followed Jesus. And he's been in and around the church and the whole church scene for many years. Rick is an interesting guy because he's something of a Bible scholar. He's curious. He likes to read. He reads uh, studies the Bible. In fact, he's so serious about it. He went to a, a seminary and he got a master's degree in uh, uh, divinity studies. And uh, he's served along with us in this church for a long time. In fact, at one time he used to lead our theological training course for leaders across the nation called Trilogy Project, which Mike Lawson now does. But he, he did that, which is a three-year training program. He also was instrumental and helpful in our Frontier Year training program, which is where young people come and serve in a church and receive theological training for a year. He, he's actually taught seminars at some of our national leadership conferences. Uh, he's pretty knowledgeable, and uh, he reads the Bible every day, and he's continually reading books that most of us wouldn't want to read. Uh, and if we did, we might find them, uh, well, not always easy to understand, and the other thing about Rick is he's always searching for stuff. So oftentimes in my uh, inbox and in my email will be a, a note from Rick. says, hey, I thought you might like this. Or he passes it on to the elders and it will be a link to something he thinks we should read. Uh, and so uh, <laughs> he's, but as a guy, you know, he said, well, what's he like besides all of that stuff? Well, there's things he doesn't do, and there's things that he does do. One of the things he doesn't do is he doesn't cuss. Uh, he uses excellent grammar. He, uh, he bathes every day. He, um, 
He's disciplined. He's moral. He spends his money very frugally. He's not an impulse uh, consumer at all. We have a country go to pot if Rick if Rick was multiplied throughout all of this uh, nation built on consumerism. He uh, he. If you all these things I just said, if you don't if you didn't know Rick, you could be intimidated by that. If I said now I want to introduce you to Rick and you've never met him before. I mean, he's like, his kids respect him. His wife calls him Lord. I mean, <laughs> you would say, well. But, of course, those of us who know Rick, especially me who've been around him for many years, we know he's just a regular guy. He's a lot of fun. He's, he's a goof off and laughs easily. And, and he's not intimidating at all. But just by hearing that description, you could be. And Rick is going to represent somebody for us today. Not personally, but in my story. Now, I want to introduce you to another guy in Jubilee Church, and this is fictitious, just so you don't try to identify him. Although, that, although that some of you will identify with him for sure. And we're going to call this guy Jack. And Jack, now I'm making up stuff about Jack, but some of the stuff you'll think, he's talking about me. No, I'm just going to make this up. Jack hasn't been a Christian for a long time at all. He's not like Rick. He's not kind of grown up in the Christian circle. So he's not learned the handshake and the uh, smile and the, God bless you, my brother. How are you, my He hasn't learned any of that yet. Uh, yeah. <laughs> he, so he's going to represent that kind of person. Now, Jack still struggles with his lifestyle because he feels he doesn't measure up. And he's, he's pretty aware of his flaws and, and uh, weaknesses. And he, he thinks there's things about him that probably God's not very happy about. And unlike Rick, he seems to mess up quite a lot. And he's pretty aware that he messes up a lot. Matter of fact, if you hang out with Jack and in, a, in a relaxed moment, he's liable to cuss. Uh, you know, throw, oh, oh, sorry. And well, where Rick's not going to do that. But he, he may do that. Um, and, and also, there might be things about Jack that you would kind of, doesn't fit some of your mold, and some of here would, yeah, I could get on with this guy pretty well. But there are things that Jack has not learned to do yet. Jack has recently started reading the Bible, but oftentimes when he reads the Bible, he says, I don't get very much out of it. He doesn't understand some of it, and, and he doesn't read the Bible every day. And he actually doesn't understand a lot about it yet. And he goes to community groups. And sometimes in community groups, he's kind of quiet and he kind of pretends like he understands. But sometimes he doesn't understand uh, what's taking place there. And when the group begins to pray or pray out, uh, that's pretty uncomfortable for Jack. So he just mm, kind of keeps quiet about all of that. Jack's walk with God at times, you could say, is a bit wobbly. It's a bit up and down. His faith is reasonably simple. In fact, Jack smoked pot yesterday. And he's pretty sorry about it today. There may be a little bit of Rick and a little bit of Jack and many of you here today. And you could say, man, I'm kind of torn. I'm a bit of Rick, I'm a little bit of Jack. Now, why am I talking about these guys? Because 
the book of Ephesians is about those guys. It's about guys like Rick and guys like Jack and what God's done. So in chapter 2, and uh, I just want to kind of like run through without reading clearly everything because this entire chapter I want to deal with here, but the first 10 verses reminds us of some things. It says, you know what you guys once were, every one of you, ladies and gentlemen, you once were uh, dead. That's how it starts. You were dead. You were in trespasses and sins. You were just kind of caught up in the spirit of this age, and it was kind of like taking you with it. Whatever the culture and spirit of the age, you kind of went, went with it. You kind of... You know, what's the style? What's the trend? Where's the cool place? You kind of went with it. And he goes on to say that you were just really caught up in, in the prince, the power of the air, the spirit of the age. And you all were like that at one particular point in life. In fact, he says, this is how you lived. You lived in your own passions, the desires of your flesh. You know, kind of like if it feels good, do it. And you kind of went... What I want this, I want that. You just kind of, you, you were driven pretty well and ruled by the passions of your own flesh. And uh, he says, then, then he gets to verse 4. I love what he, these little inner, in, in, interjections in scripture. Because all, something's going to change. You were like this, and then it says, but God. Whenever you see the, the but in the scripture, you know something's about to change. But God. Really? You were dead. You were in trespasses and sin. You were caught up in all this stuff. And then suddenly, but God, being rich in mercy <clears throat> because of his great love by which he loved us. How could he love us when we were that way? And some of you are thinking, how can he love me when I am this way right now? I got issues in my life. If other people knew, he knows. And it says, but God, being rich in mercy, and he has loved us with this great love. When we were dead in trespasses, he did something. We didn't do it. He initiated it. He made us alive when we were dead in trespasses and sin. That's what he, and he did it by his grace. And it says, none of us could perform in such a way that make us acceptable to God. He did it for us. Sometimes people say, well, I'll get my act together, and then I'll be in church, and I'll, you know, maybe I'll be a Christian then. Or I, got, you know, I, I can't hang out with you guys because I don't have my act together. And we get it all wrong, totally wrong. It says, by grace you've been saved. It's not anything you've done. He did it. He initiated it on your behalf. Your right standing with God is purely the act of God. It has nothing to do with how good you are or how bad you've been or whether you made a mistake or nothing like that. He's done it so that his immeasurable riches of grace could be demonstrated. His kindness could be demonstrated. For by grace, he says, you've been saved. That's not yourself. It's just a gift You didn't earn it. It's just a gift. You were dead, and God comes and gives you the gift of life. He just did it. He initiated it. He did it all. That's amazing. That's amazing. We were dead, but God. We were dead, but God. Now, 
when you get to, that's the first 10 verses. When you get to verse 11, there's another one of those little transitions that takes place. So you've dead, transition, but God. And then you get to verse 11. He says, therefore, remember. Remember that at one time, you were like Gentiles in the flesh and the uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision. That is, Jewish Christians spoke somewhat disrespectfully about Gentile Christians. And they, they, were, they had something God gave them years ago in the Old Testament called circumcision, which was an outward mark in the flesh. We all know what that is. An outward mark in the flesh that identified them as God's special covenant people. And none of the Gentiles were circumcised. So even after they become believers, they weren't circumcised. And so sometimes there was this kind of class distinction that those guys would, would say, hey, the uncircumcised. And it's a derogatory term. But he says, you, this circumcision which is made in the flesh by hands, has nothing to do with what Jesus has done. Remember that you were one time separated. And he goes on to say, you were strangers to the covenants. You weren't able to participate in the blessings. It says, but now, in verse 13, another one of those transitions. You were dead, but God, rich in mercy, saved us. Therefore, remember, don't forget it. And you were this way, remember? You were this way. But now, he says, in Christ, you once who were far off, been brought near by the blood, and he himself has become our peace. That's why we have peace. He's become our peace. And he did it for a reason, it says. The whole chapter talks about that, to reconcile us, to make us one people. Now, Paul, who wrote this book, is setting out some pretty important foundational truths. And this is what he's he's teaching us. He's teaching us that Jack is blessed in heavenly places, and that's his position right now, along with Rick. This blows our mind, because Rick went to bed at 9 o'clock after he took a shower and woke up and took another one. (laughs) And both these guys are seated and blessed in heavenly realms with Jesus. And the only prize that Rick and Jack have is this, what Jesus has done for them. Jesus did it. It's not found in Rick's degree in theology, nor in Jack cleaning up his language and never smoking pot again, which he will. He will change. But it's the fact that we are right now been made new creatures in Jesus, not by anything that we've done or haven't done, but by what God has done for us in Jesus. Both Jack and Rick are created anew, and God has prepared in advance good works for them to enjoy and walk in. And the Apostle Paul emphasizes the blessings that we have in Jesus Christ. And we're both created anew. He says, you were all dead. Even Rick was. And sometimes you can be dead in your good deeds and not really have any life in Jesus. And that's the foundation Paul lays. And so he writes, therefore remember. I don't want you to forget it. Because you can forget it. And today, when I talk to you about this, I don't want you to forget it. 
I want to say with Paul, therefore, because of what Jesus has done for you, I need you to remember. That's the goal. And the thing he talks to about remembering is something called the wall. A wall is always something that uh, divides and separates. There was a wall that separated us from God at one point, but Jesus busted that down. And there's a wall that can separate us in our friendships or relationships with people. And so the book of Ephesians are written for guys, ladies, like Rick and Jack. The Ephesians were primarily a Gentile audience. And the Jews, Christian Jews, would refer to the Gentile Jews differently. They had names for them, like they call them the uncircumcised. This is not a very complimentary term. It's a pretty... A derogatory term, which basically saying we have a special place that you don't have. Now, certainly, no one would call Jack names. Jack, if you're here, uh, of course you are. There's a little Jack in all of us. And you see, no one would call Jack names. However, imagine if you were Jack, how you might feel if after you've just become a new believer you hear other Christians around you talk about people who are not yet Christians, and you talk to them in these ter- about them, and they're the lost. Well, it's true they're lost, but, I mean, just think about if you were out there and you heard Christians talking about you and you weren't a follower of Jesus yet, and they referred to you as the lost or unbelievers. Well, there are lots of unbelievers out there. We need to reach the unbelievers. Well, so Jack listens to these terms knowing that he is a believer now, but thinking that's the way Christians used to refer to me, I guess, as lost and unbelievers, or worse yet, heathens. I've actually heard Christians talk about people who aren't followers of Jesus as the heathen out there. You hear those terms. I'm just saying sometimes we create these walls. Now, let's assume that Jack hears those terms and he can get over them because he knows they're not met in a derogatory way. But he still struggles as a follower of Jesus when he compares, and this is always a mistake, he compares his life with Rick's. And he he knows he's still messing up. It's a battle. The differences between his life and Rick's life and others who've been Christians for a very long time, who've been around church for so many years, like say a guy like Rick, been raised in a Christian home, kind of like church rats, and learned the language and the culture and how to behave in those scenes. You know what I mean. You can... Is there anybody in this room that hasn't done this on a Sunday morning? Things didn't go well. You got a speeding ticket. Because a lot of the cops out there, they write a lot of them on Sunday morning. It's no rush hour. Ask me how I know. (laughs) Lawson told me about it. (laughs) And you're thinking to yourself, why don't you go arrest some real criminals? You know, stop decent citizens. And, you know. 
But then you get to the building, and this is you. You're like this, and you get to the building. Hi, how are you? <laughs> Good to see you. You're like, yeah. Who hasn't done that? Come on, we do. And when you see other people, if, you're, if you see other people who come in and they seem to have it all together and you see them happily walking up the sidewalk to come to the building, you think, I'm not really like them. And you can, you can, there's a wall that begins to exist. We can build a wall. And it causes us to retreat and hide a little bit and not be honest and transparent with people. Because you feel like you fall short of what you should be and you fall short of what other people you perceive to be, that they're this way. And you could be surprised, but they're probably not. And there's a wide wall. And sometimes Paul talks about walls that can exist. And he wants to tear them down because church families not to have them. And they can be uh, as bitter as between uh, races or social economic culture or as as bad as fundamentalist Muslims and fundamentalist Christians and these huge walls that exist and separate people. And he's trying to deal with that. So in the temple, did you know in the, in the Jewish temple that even if you were a Gentile become a follower of the Jewish God that there was a wall that separated? There's the There was the the place for the Gentiles to worship and there was a place for the Jews to worship. And it was a literal dividing wall that separated the courts. And, and if, if a Gentile got over into the Jewish part, by law, he could be killed. That's a pretty serious thing. And so Paul says, therefore remember, because he, he doesn't want us to erect these kind of walls. Remember, you were once... <clears throat> excuse me, Gentiles by birth, but now Christians, and you're part of one family, this church here at Ephesus. Remember, one time you were, you were separated from God. You were excluded from God. Uh, you were excluded from citizenship, but God, in, by his rich mercy, has chosen you, and he's loved you, and he's changed you, and he's saved you, and he brought you into his family. And guess what? Jew or Gentile, Rick or Jack, have equal standing with God. We're all seated together in heavenly places with him. Remember, there was once a bitter wall, which means now don't build another one because it's been torn down. There's Years ago, 1949, after the defeat of Nazi Germany, and you had the East and West, and you had communism in the West, and and uh, it's interesting that uh, uh, there was a city in Germany that was a divided city. The East was, com- was communistic and the West was democratic government. Well, the West prospered. And so the East began to get concerned about people fleeing across to the West. And so they established a border to separate the East and the West in, in the city of Berlin. If that wasn't enough, they decided to build a wall. So they built a wall called the Berlin Wall, which separated the East from the West. And it separated families and friends, people that had, it just was there. And then um, in 1987, we had a president, uh, President Ronald Reagan, 
who stood before the, the Brandenburg Gate there in Berlin, and he, and he, and he spoke to uh, Gorbachev, who was the leader in Russia and Moscow. And he says, Mr. Gorbachev, tear this wall down. Well, I'm happy to say, we all know, uh, that the wall no longer exists. There's not even, you can't even find out where it used to exist. They did tear it down in its, its uh, united city today. Nothing remains of it. And Paul draws upon that theme to point out that in the kingdom of God, there is to be no wall. There's no real difference between the ricks and the jacks. I think sometimes we think if people really knew us or what we thought or what we've done, phew, they, they, I'm not like Rick. I'm not like, phew, if they knew that. And we actually build our own walls that separate us from each other, not really fully appreciating what Jesus has done for us. And it, it, even though you say, well, I know God saved me, somehow we revert back to this performance mindset. And it creates a wall. And it's, it's not our accomplishments that sets us apart. It's what Jesus has done for us that sets us apart and actually brings us together as one people. You see, he says to you Gentile believers, he says, you used to live by the flesh, separated from Christ. You were strangers to God's promise, and you were without hope. <laughs> yeah, I used to be. He says, well, not anymore. And he says to the Jews, he says, you know, the external circumcision of the flesh, that is your outward performance that seemed to be so righteous, may not really be reflective of what's in your heart. And Rick can forget that. But he hasn't and he won't. But he can. The Rick types. We can forget that. You see, we have to be aware. Now, he says in verse 13, something really, he, he, he goes, But God, when you were dead, rich in mercy, he did it. Seated you together in heavenly places, all of you. But God. In verse 11, he says, Remember that. Don't ever forget that. Then in verse 13 he says, but now. But God, therefore remember, but now. But now what? Well, but now Jesus reconciled what we destroyed with our flesh. We've tried and we've failed. And Jack can no longer say, I don't belong because I'm still struggling with some stuff. Because Jesus has destroyed that. And Rick can't say he belongs because the things he does seem to me a more appropriate mark of what it is to be a Christian. He can't say that either. In our flesh, we can see the difference. We can look and see the difference in behavior and style. Rick drives a Camry. And takes a bath every day. And wears nice slacks, and a polo shirt. Jack lives on his Harley. He drives it rain or shine. They're different. And they're the same. Because they've both been brought near and are seated together. 
with him in heavenly place. We are not, the externals of the flesh by which we judge, we've got to kind of throw that stuff out the window. Paul says, but now we've been brought together. And in verse 14, Christ, he says, has become our peace. Now, peace, that's an interesting word. Because where there's no peace, what's, what's the beauty contestants usually say? What's your big wish in the world? World peace. We want peace. Well, what that generally means is we want the absence of hostility. We don't want people killing each other anymore. We don't want hostility uh, anymore. But actually, the word here means something different. Peace is the Hebrew word shalom. And it's a term for salvation and life with God. It means wholeness of life. It means health. It means completeness. It means well-being. Shalom is the way it should be. It's well-being. With, it's not just the absence of hostility. It has to do with the uniting of humanity. And Christ has brought about this ideal by destroying the walls that would somehow separate us and making us one. The purpose was to create one new people. Peace is not a term to be defined. It's actually a person. The Bible says Jesus is our, that's who he is. He's peace. And he's our peace. He didn't say he's my peace. It says he's our peace. And it talks about a community of people living together in wholeness and life made up of mama, mama, and this guy. Together. One family. No wall. No separation at all because we stand all on the, on the solid foundation of what Jesus has done for us. That's an amazing thing. Reconciliation has happened. He broke down the wall as a result of what he did, the blood of Jesus that washed our sins away. And consequently, Jack is no longer a stranger but a fellow citizen and part of the family of God, along with Rick, together. They're in God's kingdom. And they're equally members of God's household. And they're equally part of the family of God. Can I just say something to all of you here? Because what is the church? What's the church to be like? Well, the church is not what's happening right now. It's not a Sunday morning meeting. The church is a family. It's the household of God. Where all of us have recognized that we're only part of the family because of what Jesus did for us. He's rich in mercy. I'm not going to compare myself to you at all. And to you and to you and to you. We're brothers and we're sisters. This is what Jubilee Church is to be about. This is the essence and foundation of what it is to be the church. It's a family. Welcome to the household of God. Welcome to the family of God. So regardless of race or social economic standing, regardless of performance issues, regardless of the externals, where all of us recognize, hey, we're only here 
Because Jesus was rich in mercy. And he saved us by his amazing grace. And we're fellow citizens, it says in verse 19. We're part of the household of God. We're family. Christ has removed the barrier between us and himself. And he's removed the barrier between us and each other. It caused us to be one. The church is a place where all of us are to share together equally. Now, does that mean that we don't change and grow? Of course not. Does that mean that therefore whatever we do is okay? Well, what it means is somehow we understand what our position is in Jesus and we believe that he's working graciously in our lives to make us more like Jesus. That's what we believe. There is neither slave nor free. There's neither Jew nor Greek, he says. There's not male nor female. We're all one in Christ. And his peace coming into all of us has restored relationship both with God and with each other. And Christianity is not what you do alone with God, but it's lived in community with other Christians. He is our peace. Build upon the solid foundation today of apostles and prophets, still lay this foundation, that Jesus reconciles us. He did it by his grace. And he's the cornerstone. Now, here's the issue. The church is a family. It's a family that's made up of people like Rick and like Jack. Together, growing together, walking alongside of each other, and becoming a dwelling place for God. It's not about their differences in their humanity, their style of dress, their mode of transportation. It's not about the differences in their humanity, but it's about the similarities with what God has made both of us to be, what he has done And therefore, there's afforded to both the Ricks and the Jacks on an equal basis the grace to come to the Father openly through Jesus. Do you believe that? All right. You can say yes, amen. Do you believe that? All right. That's a trick question. Because I just said both Rick and Jack can come to the Father on an equal basis. Well, when you have a big need or you're really sick, would you rather have Rick or Jack pray for you? Who's the pastor? I need him to pray for me. You see, the point is, we think guys like Rick have a little more influence with Jesus than Jack who smoked pot last night and he's pretty sorry about it today. He's confessed it to me. We've prayed together. But somehow, Rick must have a higher position. People believe that. It's why when you go to public functions, they always ask for the preacher to do the praying. Somehow he's, he's got a better position standing. Now 
I'm saying that if we really believe that, then I'm perfectly happy to have Jack pray for me. He may not use a lot of really nice words. He might say, hey, Jesus, talking to you about my friend John here. He's got a thing in his chest, and we'd like for you to fix it, okay? Thank you. (laughs) And Rick might say, Father God. But both Rick and Jack have an equal basis because it's based upon the grace of God that's come to the Father through Jesus. The blood of Jesus makes both men equally pure so they are one in Christ and they're part of his family. Now, what about walls? Do you have any walls? Well, I think we make them. And I think I just illustrated one that we could make. We think some people are a little more spiritual. Somehow, it would work better if they prayed for me. But we can make walls between the generations, old and young, social economic walls, walls that have to do with externals and behavior. Do all feel welcome within the family of God? That would be the goal of this church, that all could feel welcome in the family of God. And that we would not wall anyone out intentionally or unintentionally. You see, it's kind of natural, human nature. You get together in a place like this on a Sunday morning. There are people that you know you've known for a long time. And you haven't seen them all week. And you want to go talk to them. You go talk to your friends. Hey, you know, you know, hey can you give me the recipe for that cake? Sure, I can. Hey, or we begin to talk with people we're really familiar with. That's kind of natural, I know. Well, what happens if you're new to the family of God and you've not made those relationships yet? And so even unintentionally, we can begin to create walls. Let's tear down the walls. Let's make it easy for people to be a part of this family. Let's make it easy for people to come to know the love and full acceptance of Jesus by the way we are with them. That's what our church is founded upon. It's founded upon Jesus and his finished work. He's the cornerstone. It's his work of grace rather than our work of performance. And so uh, this book, Ephesians, is identifying and calling for the church to behave like the church, to be a place where Jesus is central, where all feel welcome, and is at the heart of everything we do, where we can help one another, walk alongside of one another and see each other grow and change. And real relationships are formed. Can I just say that real relationships are only possible where there is a foundation of grace in the church. Because if it's grace, it's not based upon performance. And I understand that I'm righteous by what Jesus has done for me. But if it's on performance, then you will not approve of things that I may have done, mistakes that I've made, and I will keep them secret. And because I can't expose them to you for fear of judgment from you, or criticism from you, or non-acceptance from you, I live in a private world by which these things root down and hold me in a bondage. 
Because what needs to happen is the light needs to be turned on. These things need to be exposed so they're robbed of their power and I can be set free from them. That's only possible in an atmosphere of grace. Friendships, marriage can only flourish where there's an atmosphere of grace. It allows me to be transparent and open. And that's why Jack can say to me, John, smoke pot last night. And I can say, let's go to Jesus with that. Because in an atmosphere of grace, it tears down the walls and it allows for that kind of openness and transparency. To be a place where Jesus is central. To where an invitation to receive prayer can be extended to all and all can pray. That's the family of God. The church isn't ever to be a place where we erect walls of culture or behavior that people have to climb over in order to get to Jesus, but where we tear down walls and we live life together in a meaningful way. God welcomes all of us to participate together in ministry.